This is the Bat Pod. Grab your bat microphone, it's time to start the show. Like a quarter of owls, the mystery is starting to grow. Let there be no debate, it's about to begin. Keen like Bruce Wayne, quick like Tim Drake, fierce like Damien. Grab your headphones, listen up, you know you love it, drop the facade. Like the Dark Knight Detective, they've got some perspective, they're a pure crime fighting collective, it's the Bat Pod. Welcome to episode 92, I'm your host Bill Beer, and joining me tonight, the Johnny Carrots of podcasting. (laughs) How's it going? I'm good, man. I'll take that. I'll be the Johnny Carrots of podcasting. I, you know, Joe Potato, yeah. Johnny Carrots. You get, you know, Freddie Salary. We get some Mirquois. That's good. I'm good with that. <laughs> Batman 121, Detective Comics 1052, 1054. We're catching up here a little bit. We got a little bit of Stump the Co-host. Woohoo! And, you know, I come on here and you have this big, huge head. You can probably barely fit it in your house. <laughs> but just, and I had some time this week, so I went back and listened to every Stump the co-host you have been on. No way. Yes. All, all like fifty thousand of them, because I'm like forty nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine to one. Sorry, this is going to be a hurt to your ego. <laughs> counting all time, so up to nine episode ninety one, you are currently ahead eight to five. Oh yeah. yeah. Wait. Okay. Eight. But also. Are we five. counting the the cheating scandal of, of no, 2020? Scandal. Because really, I'm like 15 to one then. <laughs> no, that was just brushed under the carpet. You didn't. No cheating scandal. But I do have something interesting to tell you to see if you get a kick out of. I got a kick out of something. I went to see the Batman movie, mm-hmm. and I uh, went with a friend that really didn't know too much about Batman. Listens to the Bat Pod but didn't know too much. And this person said, doesn't Batman fly? <laughs> Wait, this person listens to the Bat Pod, but doesn't know that Batman doesn't fly? Uh, has listened, I don't know, uh, the last, I'm guessing, 10 episodes. Okay, that's interesting. And says, what? doesn't Batman fly? <laughs> and I thought that was uh, wow, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. I mean, you just kind of assume that everybody knows about Batman now by osmosis. I mean, we're in the third cycle of movies, right? Actually, the fourth right. cycle, technically, or, or fifth, if you count the serials in the 40s. But yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, that, yeah. that's interesting. And I said I'm, I'm, I have to put that on the podcast. I just can't. <laughs> that, I can't let it go. That can't be let go. That, that just, we forget about that one. So. He flies. He catches criminals by throwing guano at them from the sky. Yeah, it's a whole, it's this whole shtick. <laughs> it works. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Let's go ahead, and we're going to head to our first book. The Bat Pod is a spoiler podcast. Please read the comics we're reviewing so you can enjoy the show. So our first book tonight is Batman 121, The Abyss Finale. Mm-hmm. Joshua Williamson is your writer. Jorge Molina and M- Mikel Yanin are your artists. Colors to Mumori. Letters, Clayton Cowles. Cover. Jorge Molina, <laughs> editor, Dave Welgas, editor, Ben Abernathy. In this issue, Abyss stands with members of Batman Inc. against Batman and Lex Luthor. Abyss declares their intention of killing Lex Luthor. And if Batman joins them, Abyss will give him his sight back. Lex tells Batman he should have joined Team Luthor from the beginning, as Batman is now useless because he has no sight. Batman reminds reminds Lex that for some reason he can see nothing except Luther, acknowledging it has something to do with Luther's tech and Abyss is using. Batman commands the code Club of Heroes, and Batman Inc. suddenly switches sides as they all gang up on Abyss. Abyss reveals that Lex Luther created him, then let him loose on Badnesia, effectively abandoning this would-be Batman Inc. Abyss is about to kill Lex when Detective Keha intervenes. Abyss escapes. Batman thinks for a minute, remembering comments made to him by Oracle, Alfred, and even Detective Keha, that he flees to the darkness from the light. Batman connects 
into Lex's gauntlet and goes after Abyss. He tracks him down, blinds the villain with some white light. Bruce's vision returns, but the Abyss es- escapes. Detective Keha informs Batman that they have found all the people that Abyss has captured. At the prison, uh, Batman Inc. informs Luther that they never cashed his checks and that he doesn't own them. They also reveal re- they also revealed that they baited Luther in coming to Batnesia and now have a list of other experiments like Abyss that he had been working on. Batman Inc. asked Batman how he knew they weren't really working with Abyss. He told them that during the fight he noticed that they were definitely pulling their punches. And as we come to an end, it takes place after the Arkham Tower event. Batman tells Oracle that she was right. It's hard for him to celebrate wins. In a few epilogues, we have Detective Keha enters Lex Luthor's lab and finds many thing, vats of something. And then we see Prometheus informing Deathstroke that Batman is back in Gotham and Deathstroke seemed pleased and ready to go ahead with this plan. So this particular issue continues right into where we left off. We do have a little flashback first where, you know, when uh, Bruce Wayne first announced he was creating Batman Inc. And the Batman, uh, it was like right before the the new 52 um, he was creating Batman Inc. And at, at that point, Lex was like, yeah, I went I went in on that. That's something I can take advantage of. So I did like seeing that little bit at the beginning there. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. And, and I like that Lex is still rocking his his Mr. 305 Pitbull Miami outfit. Um, it is it is insane how much they draw him like Pitbull in this issue. Yeah. It makes me laugh every time, but I think it's cool. And I, I love that, too, because I love that Lex sees anybody doing anything as a challenge of like, well, I can do that better. And also I can steal that from them. So that was a nice touch. It was also a nice callback to pre new 52. And because Batman incorporated was awesome. It was such a good, I mean, look, I'm, I know we're not here to debate new 52, but you know, one of the shames of new 52 was that it did sort of truncate that Grant Morrison Batman run. And it, it, you know, it made the time frame of it really odd. It made it kind of hard to follow at times, but, but I do love the, the Batman incorporated idea was really cool. And I like the fact that Lex makes total sense. He would want to steal something like that. Yeah, absolutely. That seems uh, something Lex Luthor-ish. So we jump in, and it's Batman Lex Luthor against Batman Inc. and Abyss. And, you know, Abyss talks to Batman, you should flip sides, and we all can take on Lex Luthor. And something happens here, which, you know, they start fighting, and then something happens, and Batman uses a code. Mm-hmm. Club of Heroes, which sort of was a little deceiving because I initially thought that they were like brainwashed, you know, in this this little code because he says code Club of Heroes and then they automatically turn sides. I thought it was like something that had Abyss had done or whatever. I mean, and then it's explained later, you know, how did you know that w- that must have been like their crude word between them at some point that. You know, if so, something ever goes bad or something ever goes wrong, I'm going to use this word and and you'll know that that we're on the same side or, or whatever it is. Well, it's a nice touch because, you know, for so many decades we get and this and this issue, this arc actually directly confronts this. We get the, you know, uh, I am alone. I am the night, you know, Batman who who doesn't think he relies on friends or family, even though that's all he does is, you know collect family which is great and this club of heroes you know we've seen him embrace them we've seen him reject them you know we've seen sort of different attitudes towards them and i love this issue because he treats them with so much respect like he doesn't believe they they've turned you know at all and and he's like oh no and then they then he can tell they're pulling his punches because he sees them as you know somewhat equivalent fighters he's like oh all of them versus me they would have taken me down and i love the fact that he's like you know we're still on the same side all right i'm gonna pull the rug out from under abyss I just I think it's really cool. And, and again, it's it's the it's what Williamson has been driving home this entire arc, which is Batman always runs from emotion. He runs from feeling even good feelings, yeah. uh, you know, good feelings, bad feelings. He doesn't know how to process them, which makes sense because he's basically perpetually nine years old. And so it you know, it's it's this really nice little subtle feeding into the theme. It's a little furthering of the theme of like, oh, hey, you know, he really does trust these guys and he and he 
you know, to has trust them to have his back and to be on the right side of this, which is why he came to investigate this to begin with. So I thought that part was really, really cool. And I love I love seeing them in action. They're one of my favorite. I mean, look, one of the best parts of the Grant Morrison Batman run was the embracing of just the quirky, goofy Silver Age stories and making them real and making them you know, actually fit into continuity. And I love the club of heroes. I think it's awesome. I mean, what about you? Yeah. I, I like the concept of that. I liked, you know, there's a lot of things that Grant Morrison did even in, you know, when he was writing Batman that, uh, he adopted that I really enjoyed. And uh, like you read it initially back whenever and it's like, ah, oh, it's kind of goofy. It's kind of, this is kind of that, but you know, what was it? The, the Batman of Zur and ah, uh-huh. you know, and uh, he had like a little code phrase that he embedded into his into his brain. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that that was a cool story that uh, and if you haven't read any of that stuff, you really should go back and uh, read the Grant Morrison stuff because it really is really good. It's so good. And it, what's funny, Bill, is is we are um, we are gentlemen of a certain age. I would probably say those are considered classic stories now, like because that that was like two. 2006, right? Classic stories. I mean, that that's, you know, that's they're, they're not recent. They're like 15 plus years old. Okay, I see where you're going with this. I mean, it's so I mean, the way I think about it is because this drives me crazy. The my first issue of X-Men was like uh-huh. 175 or 176. I bought it off the spinner rack. We are now as far from that issue of X-Men as the Silver Age, like Captain America, number one, you know, Submariner. Justice Society World War II issues were from the issue of X-Men I bought. That just breaks my brain every time I think about it. Yeah, don't think about that. (laughs) But anyway, the Grant Morrison run is awesome. And if you're a youngin and you're listening and you haven't read it, you should definitely read it. And and then the the story takes us into one of my favorite parts of this story. And it's done very subtly, very quickly. It, It doesn't get a ton of attention, but it seeds future stories in a really cool way, which is that Lex Luthor created Abyss. And not in the way that I thought originally of like, oh, he gave him his powers or, you know, he took this guy. and he, But like he he purposely sought out a Batman model. He took a guy who was a victim of crime and then experimented on him, did give him his powers, but like basically tried to recreate the situation that created Bruce Wayne just without a child because he didn't have that kind of time. And I was like, God, that is so much more sinister than I even thought it was. I mean, like, what what are your thoughts on the creation of Abyss? Just think of the arrogance it takes. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I can create a Batman. That's no big deal. I'll create a Batman, but my Batman will be even better than mm-hmm. Batman. It'll be even better. And uh, he just doesn't <laughs> he just doesn't get it. Has no idea. And the, and Lex Luthor at his at his best or worst or whatever you want to call it. He, he tried to create his Batman ink, but there's another phrase in here that he says, Batman, you have no sight. You're useless of all the, the people in the world of all the heroes. Yeah. DC universe. Batman is the last that's going to be useless with no sight. Well, also and, bats use echolocation. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> even in his name, he just doesn't get it. What, what, Batman is what it takes to be Batman. He thinks it's just, oh, just some trauma and we'll have a new Batman yeah. create a whole new. T- like it's a recipe, like right. add a spoonful of trauma, family trauma, add a you know, dash of violence, a little bit of darkness, you know, some cool toys. And then here you go. Instant Batman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do have to say there is something kind of funny in this issue that I just realized. So we, you know, we, I think we talked about this in the last episode. It was just announced that, uh, Joshua Williamson and we we kind of predicted this. We talked about no, actually we talked about it on the last episode. We were a little worried about Williamson's workload because he's gone from sort of a uh, and not not insultingly he's gone from sort of a B level writer at DC to an A level writer, right? Like he's writing an event coming up and he's doing yeah. the these big books coming up. And we kind of started talking about like God, you know, he's writing this book and that book and this book. Like you know what what's it? What he's going to have to drop something. He's not going to have room for it. And so we found out. He's actually stepping away from Batman. And maybe that was the plan the whole time. Maybe he was only ever on Batman for, you know, an arc or two. And that would make sense because this is a very tightly plotted arc that happens outside of Gotham. And so it's it's kind of evergreen, you know, so that that does fit well. But we were like, oh, you know, 
if if anybody else came on board, we'd want it to be Chip Zdarsky because his Batman Urban Legends Jason Todd story was one of the best things we've read in you know years. And then his Batman the Night Mini that's out, it's only a couple issues, is brilliant. And they just announced Chip Zdarsky is writing Batman coming up. So so we're actually not going to get a ton of Williamson, you know, on this book. But but it, what made me laugh is in this arc, Batman is blinded and has to navigate as a blind superhero. Well, the most famous blind superhero is Daredevil, who is currently being written by Chip Zdarsky. <laughs> and so I know it wasn't Zdarsky that wrote this, but I kind of laughed in my head of like a little bit of a tip of the cap of like, oh, for the first time ever, we're going to have the same guy writing Daredevil and Batman at the same time. And so I think that's pretty cool. I don't think that's ever happened before. No, no, not at the same time. There have been people who've written them, you know, at different times, but knows. And Zdarsky has said he's not leaving Daredevil. He has said he's but, in it for the long haul. Well, he shouldn't leave that book. <laughs> so. Oh, my God, that book is good. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a couple of things that happen in here at this point that had me scratching my head a little bit. Yeah. Just, just I don't know. If uh, this was like a rush to have an ending for this book. But the the first thing that had me scratching my head and I didn't think it was necessarily bad. I just don't understand what's going on there is Batman hooks himself to, you know, Lex's armor and does something. And then his his (laughs) bat signal lights up. And I don't know what that was. Well, could you explain it to me? Do you? Well, and then every everything just goes white. But they are in the middle of a city like like when yeah. he catches up to Abyss, he's just in like the back alley of Badnesia. I mean, there are signs and businesses and you assume some people and then there's this like noise. And then and then there's my favorite page in the book because it's all it's not just white. It's crisp like eggshell white. It's supposed to be the way to stop Abyss, even thematically. And I like this part thematically. Abyss wanted to be the darkness. He wanted to be Batman. And Batman's like, well, then I'll drag you out into the light, which I was like, oh, cool. And actually, weirdly, also connects to the Batman movie. So, um, uh, yeah, spoilers also connects to the Batman movie. Uh, So anyway, he drags him out into the light. But this is a weird page because, one, how is it such a complete white light if they really are in a city? It's not like they're in a room, a self-contained room. And secondly, the way that Yanin and and Melina have to draw this page is Batman facing abyss. But everything around them is white, so there's no perspective. And it feels like I'm reading Digital Justice from 1989. Remember Digital Justice? <laughs> Batman Digital Justice? <laughs> it was the first ever computer-generated comic book, and it's the worst-looking thing on the planet. There's a little bit of that here. There's a little bit of color form here where it was like, oh, stickers, and we put them on the felt. And so I don't blame the artist because the art in this book is is amazing. And I don't know how else they could have done it, but it did make me laugh. It felt very color form. And, and, and yeah, I don't understand the science of it, but, you know, it's a pretty cool fight. Batman takes him down pretty readily. Yeah, and, you know, Batman gets his sight back because Abyss kind of shoots some dust, fairy dust or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and all of a sudden he can see again. Uh, and with Williamson leaving Batman, I don't know if we're going to get an explanation of what his power set is and that sort of thing. So I can't tell you, I mean, if somebody asked me, I can't tell you uh, what made him go blind and what got his sight to come back. Yeah. I mean, there's no science explanation. It's just, that's maybe one of Abyss's power sets or something. But, but what's cool is, is, you know, Abyss swipes at Batman's bat symbol on his chest. It cuts out the white light. Batman beats him down and it opens up Abyss's helmet, which has always had the lights around the eyes. Yep. And you get to see his actual face, which is horrifically scarred. And you're like, oh, what did Lex do to this guy? But also you get to see that his eyes have that black coating that Batman's had when he was blind. So you realize, oh, Abyss really was made into darkness and he needs those that light tech to see as well, which was a really cool touch. Yeah, I did like that. It's all connected. You know, uh, Lex Luthor made Abyss, Abyss. It's all this technology is kind of shared. So. It sort of it sort of makes sense that, you know, he was how he was taken down and and that sort of thing, even though it's not explained super well. But I can I can understand that. But the one thing I wanted to point out is, you know, we get to Lex Luthor and Lex has his bat suit on when he's talking to, you know, Batman Inc. Mm -hmm. saying you don't own us. You know, we never cash your checks. And he's got this bat suit and it's like. This is a DC thing. It's not just Williamson. It's not anybody else. But DC promoted this arc as Lex Luthor was going to be Batman. Did they really? I don't. I don't remember seeing that. Yeah. 
It was like in um, art previews and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's, like, it's a little deceiving. I mean, if somebody tells you Lex Luthor is going to be Batman, are there going to be more people picking that up? It's a good possibility, but I think it's a little. <laughs> I think it's. Yeah, little, I'm okay with it. I mean, he does wear the bat symbol, so you know, so we're somewhat true. But I, I have to say, I love one of the things I loved about this is the theme of it because he he says to Keha, well, so they're talking about Abyss. And they're like, Abyss is on the run. Batman Inc. will try to hunt him down. And they said, you know, Abyss took them. You know, he he basically tried to become the dark, but it never stuck. He wanted to be like Batman. He wanted right. to use the dark, but it didn't stuck, didn't stick. So he got lost in the dark. And Batman says, it happens. And I love that little line because Batman understands better than anybody. Hey, doing this has a huge psychological cost and you can get lost in it. And he has gotten lost in it before, right? We've seen true dark night moments from him before with, you know, Bane or Venom or, you know, and, and, uh, you know, different arcs over the years. And I like that he's reflecting on that saying like, well, but the difference is he says to Kai, Hey, you were smart to call for backup. And he realizes that, that that's the thing that's keeping him from the dark is his backup, his family, his friends, his allies. So I love the, I love the theme of this book of this arc. I think it's really cool, you know, and, and it's emphasized, you know, a little bit further because he goes to the the club of heroes and he's like, hey, how long have you guys been working the case? And they're like, you know, since Batman Inc. first started and we're going to keep looking for these hidey holes that Lex has where he's got more experiments. You know, who knows how many other people he's created, which, by the way, seeding for a great future storyline. I mean, that, that's a great club of heroes mini to come, hopefully. And Batman says to them, why didn't you call for my help? And they said, would you have? And he goes, hmm. <laughs> and then he goes back to Gotham and he admits to Oracle, hey, you're right. I didn't know how to celebrate. You know, I didn't know how to ask for help. And then he does ask for help. He reaches out to Ghostmaker and he says, you know, will you keep an eye on Detective Keha and Badnesia, you yeah. know, kind of help out you and Clown Hunter help out there because he's training Clown Hunter. And it's really cool because this arc in a very, you know, relatively brief arc, we just get a really nice theme of, of Batman realizing that he has trouble processing emotions. He does the thing he always does, which he goes off alone. But then comes to realize that that's the last thing he actually should be doing, that the, the the healthy thing to do is to surround himself with his friends and family, to trust the people in his life. And that'll help him be different from somebody like Abyss. And I was like, man, good on you, Williamson, Molina, Yanin, you know, the whole creative team for taking what is, you know, a short standalone arc, you know, and I, and Williamson must have known he wasn't going to be on the book very long and doing something interesting enough that this will make a great trade paperback. Like I would totally hand this this, you know, arc to somebody and be like, oh, you want like a really good modern Batman story? Here you go. That's not set in Gotham City. I mean, yeah, which I liked too. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it is interesting the the way this set up. And, you know, it, if it's not Williamson, it may be somebody else that, uh, you know, has a plan for this Batman Inc. And he's just setting it up kind of thing. So I did overall, I did enjoy it. I, there was a couple things in this issue had me scratching my head. But besides that, I really enjoyed this. Uh, you have a couple epilogues here, and it was nice to see, you know, as we said, Ghostmaker had been been a, a character that we've been, uh, what has it been, 20 issues almost that he had been around or less yeah. than, but it was cool to see him and, you know, got a couple epilogues here with, uh, you know, Deathstroke and the Shadow War coming. Which I'm not super excited about, um, <laughs> only because I don't. One, I don't buy Deathstroke Inc., so I, you know, I'm like, eh, I'm ho hum about, you know, an inter book crossover, um, you know, especially because it's been nice that this arc has been self-contained, and I'm like, I, like, I kind of want more of that. That was really cool. But I have a question for you. I have a larger question for you. Yep. Now that we're kind of at the end of, and and Williamson may end up writing the Shadow War issues, but you know, this is probably the end of his proper run in that this is the only real self-contained story he's going to have. So we're at, we're at 121 issues of this volume of Batman. The first 85 were by Tom King as writer and then assorted artists, but I mean Lee Weeks, David Finch, you, you know, Mikhail Yanin. The next, what, 22 were by James Tynan with like Jorge Molina and, and I mean just an amazing art team. And then we get these like five or six issues by Williamson. Is this the best Batman book of all time? The, the pound for pound, the one, the 121 issues. I would say starting with 86. Oh, oh my God. Are you, 
I, I don't. I, this, the, Fred, folks, this might be the end of the bat pod. Are you pooping on the Tom King run? And say this is the best Batman I've ever read because it was not. Oh, oh, Bill. I'm not saying you have to love all of the Tom King run. I, I get, I get that he's an acquired I taste. Said it, it's not the best that I've ever read. Okay, okay. So you would say maybe the Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, or even other other eras. I, I just I have to say when I was thinking about this, I was like, God, we got we got the luxury of going from King to Tynan to Williamson and now coming up on Zadarsky. I was like, this this is going to end up being the best volume of Batman ever. But I also am. And I and I get it. I joke. I joke. But I get it. Tom King isn't for everybody. I kind of feel like Tom King. I feel about Tom King the way I felt about Bendis um, in the early 2000s, the like 2000 to 2010. I was a Bendis junkie. And yeah. I loved everything that guy wrote. And I and I still, I mean, Alias is an amazing book. His Daredevil run is a top three of all time. I still love his work. But, you know, eventually kind of was like, oh, I get what people don't like about it. You know, and, and so I'm kind of like that with King. I am in my my honeymoon phase with King where I love everything this guy writes. But I also can see where some people are like, yeah, it's not for me. Yeah, I can see that, of course. Uh, there were, I mean, there's some arcs. One of the arcs that probably wasn't the most uh, well Perceived was Bruce Wayne being on a jury where, you know, Batman was brutal with uh, Mr. Freeze. I liked that. I actually liked that story. My my least favorite of the King run was the end. The whole, you know, is Alfred, Alfred's dead and City of Bane. That for me got a little bit. And then going right off of that into Joker War was way too much. And so for me, the ending of it is my least favorite part. But there are parts, the double date issues with Superman and Lois and you know, the I am Bane um, or the I am suicide arc is probably one of my five favorite Batman arcs of all time. I just uh, yeah, I love I love the King arc. I love his the relationship with Selena and and Bruce. But I again, I have a soft spot for him. So, OK. All right. That's interesting. I, th- I thought it was a slam dunk that this is the best volume of Batman ever. But I, I can see that if, if King wasn't your cup of tea, then really only the Tynan run. I mean, the Tynan run definitely is one of the best runs ever. But, you know, I could see it not having quite enough weight because, I mean, Snyder and Capullo were great. And, right. you know, there's they're just, yeah, Nixon or uh, you know, Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan. I mean, there's so many great er- no man's land. There's so many great eras over the years. OK, I got it. I got it. We don't so, have to end the pod, Bill. <laughs> That's the end of the bat pod. We will leave <laughs> somebody new. <laughs> well, before we leave this book, I have a story to tell. OK. Another story about this friend that listens to the Bat Pod, apparently. Apparently, when this person listens, they don't pay attention very much to what we're actually talking about. And so let me set the scene up. So this person, let's just say they're a coworker. <laughs> You're not being very subtle. <laughs> and and that they've been on it's a female. They've been on these dating apps, you know, you know and she was talking to this guy and uh never really saw like talk to him in person or because he was in Syria um, on a mission working with the military. What? Where are you going with this? <laughs> with this is I was having a conversation with her and I said, yeah, they're sending me to Badnesia. <laughs> and it's like, oh, really? I said, yeah, uh... Badnesia. And then uh, apparently this person Googled it. <laughs> and they're like, where is this place? And then I, I sent them a screenshot of, uh, you know, the Batman comic. That's awesome. Do you know what Badnesia is most famous for? No, I do not. Okay. So it's it's not an accident that they used it in this comic. It is actually the fictional country where Johnny Thunder's Thunderbolt is from. Ooh. So Johnny Thunder is the seventh son of a seventh son. And it was foretold that the seventh son of a seventh son would command great power. And he, and he goes to visit this, like, I mean, at this time, it's the 40s. So it's, you know, depicted pretty racially. You know, it's like tribal and, and all this stuff. And but uh, like in, a, in a very racial depiction. And he gets this, you know, the say you and he gets the thunderbolt and he gets to command it. And uh, yeah, so Badnesia has a long history in in DC Comics going back to the 40s with Johnny Thunder. I mean, they don't mention it here. But yeah. it's it yeah it, it was an interesting choice to pick to make it the like you know uh, Tortuga of the DC universe or the Madripoor if you want to use a Marvel oh, right. you know, reference but but yeah it has a long history yeah that's pretty interesting I did not know that so so okay we will go ahead and we will head to stump the co-host. Woo-hoo. 
It's time for the BatPod Stump the Co-host segment. Okay, welcome to Stump the Co-host. And today on Stump the Co-host, we got a theme. And of course, this theme is something that Sean had requested since he was losing. Oh. He needed to have, you know, post-crisis or sooner. But so I did. I did. I studied. I know you'll probably get this correct because it's one of your favorite arcs ever on any bat related book so are you ready i'm ready i'm ready okay of course there will be cash and prizes at the end and uh sean you you really are gonna get a good prize if you get this correct so we're gonna head to sean's favorite arc of all time and it's in nightwing of course and it's in the last three years oh no of rick grayson oh you you suck Right. Rick Gray. Oh, you suck. Crisis. I give you what you want. It's in the current Night Ring run. It started in issue number 50 and goes to issue number 76, where, you know, the KG Beast shot Jason as Nightwing in the head. And <sighs> so he became Rick Grayson. So I've got five things down that happened in that arc with rick grayson and you're going to tell me the one thing that is not true and i know you know these because you probably read that regularly uh no i jumped i jumped off of that book the minute rick grayson happened rick grayson is i mean he's the it's like when they bought those two other guys onto dukes of hazard because they were contractually fighting with Bo and luke (laughs) that's exactly what it was like i don't remember their names like cletus and and metis or whatever yeah, it was Coy and Vance Duke. I knew you would know. Yeah, yeah. Rick Grayson is the Coy and Vance Duke of the DC Universe. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm still going to try, though. I'm going to try. Okay. So five things. Got to tell me the one isn't true. Okay. Rick Grayson has a gambling problem. Number two, Rick Grayson is afraid of heights. Number three, Rick Grayson has a tattoo name of his girlfriend, B, on his body. And number four, Rick Grayson has a drinking problem. Or number five. Rick Grayson drives a taxi cab. So we got gambling problem, afraid of heights, tattoo of his girlfriend, a uh, drinking problem, or drives a cab. <laughs> oh, my God. This storyline sucked. Just the fact that you have these, this many bizarro things to choose from. All right. I know he drove a cab. I remember that must have happened in a Batman issue, too. They must have mentioned that. So I know it's not that one. I remember his girl. He had a girlfriend because I... I think I bought one of the Joker War crossover issues, mm-hmm. and Joker was threatening her, and I think her name was B Beatrice. Yep. So maybe he has a tattoo. What were the other ones? It was fear of heights, problem, afraid of heights, drinking, or drinking problem. Well, the fear of heights thing is just dumb. There's no way they're giving Nightwing a fear of heights, but also there's no way they're giving him a gambling or a drinking. <laughs> like, oh my god, god, this arc sucked. Um, I'm gonna say. I'm going to say they wouldn't be insensitive enough to give him a drinking problem because it's not something you can just give somebody and take away, even though you can't really shouldn't be able to do a gambling problem either. But I'm going to go. I, I, I like I, I, have, I have no idea. I'm going to say drinking. OK, if you said drinking problem. Oh. You are incorrect. I can't believe you had that sound effect ready. <laughs> this is messed up, by the way. This is messed up. This is I'm not I'm not saying it's cheating because it's not. It's fair. But this was a, this was diabolical. I didn't know you had this in you. <laughs> Rick Grayson did not have a tattoo with his girlfriend's name. Oh, on. My God. He did date a girl named B, but he did not have a tattoo. He was afraid of heights. He had a gambling problem Jeez. and drinking problem. And of course, he drove a cab. That arc, I mean, I, I and what sucks is I, I don't want to blame the creators because especially because Dan Jurgens is involved and he's like an all time great comic creator. And but it was editorial, so it was editorially driven. That is the worst. That is one of the worst storylines of all time. I just can't even get my head around. Thank God for Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo coming onto that book. But they really made him. He had a drinking problem and a gambling problem, and they just waved hand waved them away when he like came out of being Rick Grayson. Yeah. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. All right. All right. This one's for you that you won. You won fair and square. I'm not going to fight this one. You won. Oh, I'm so proud of this one. You have no idea. You how- should be. This was this was diabolical. This was good. 
<laughs> so would you like to know what you won? Yes. What would I what would I have won? Yes. So, um, you know, you're you're going through a midlife crisis kind of. <laughs> OK, so, you know, you do things that you're not used to doing. Maybe you commit some crimes. Maybe <laughs> you go see the Batman movie and it's like, oh, cool. It would be cool to be the Riddler. It'd be cool to do certain things. And if that's the case, if you do uh, commit a crime, this prize is exactly for you because I have your own secret identity. You know, <laughs> when you commit these crimes, you can be Rick Grayson. Oh, oh. this identity. I know he's one of your favorite. You know, it comes with all these problems, too. As we mentioned, you don't want to go up on the roof, you know, scared of heights, that sort of thing. And don't play cards with anybody. Because uh, you don't want to start that gambling problem. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. How did they make him afraid of heights? How did they even have a Nightwing? I, I don't want to know, actually. Never mind. I don't care. I'm never going to read those issues. I don't care. <laughs> I searched it. <laughs> oh, my God. Wasn't there like a group of Nightwings? Wasn't there Nightwings at that point or something? I don't. Nightwings. And uh. they... they uh, found his Nightwing lair with all his different costumes from the different eras, and each one took a costume. So it Was, was like, somebody Disco Nightwing? Yeah, even Disco. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. And it was like uh, firefighters, you know, pl- a couple police officers and stuff like that. So that was semi-interesting. So Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad story beat, but I can't. I just, okay. All right, all right, fair and square. I lost. So now, I, now it's like 50,000 wow. to two. Okay. Almost even. <laughs> all right well this is good this is a good challenge man let's keep it post-crisis oh yeah and and i you you got you got diabolical you got creative that was good that was good i have to be less obvious in arcs that i hate <laughs> there, there you go so let's go ahead and let's head to our detective books to the batmobile let's go All right, up next, we have Detective Comics, number 1052, 1053, 1054, which are all part of the unbelievably entertaining Shadows of the Bat arc. As a reminder, this arc is all about Arkham Tower being built in the middle of Gotham to contain the city's violent criminals um, and those in need of mental health. It is all a sham under the oversight of a con man who calls himself Dr. Ware, who has promised quick fixes which Mayor Nakano has bought into because his own wife struggles with mental illness and he's desperate to find a, a help or a cure or some sort of way to alleviate her stress. This, the quick fix cure is actually Roger Hayden, the psychopirate, who is using his Medusa mask to control all the patients and make them docile. The Bat family is very suspicious. They send Helena Bertinelli in undercover as a patient. Though she goes in a little willingly, too, because she's had a really rough patch. They send Harley Quinn in undercover as Harley Quinn. <laughs> they send uh, Spoiler under undercover, and they send Dick Grayson undercover uh, while all the, the Bat family are kind of on board helping. As a reminder, Batman is out of the country in Badnesia at this time, so it's a Bat family book. In these stories, which are part six, part seven, and part eight, we have some major, major movement. In the first issue, 1052 – Psycho Pirate loses control of Arkham and the inmates go wild. There's a total slip up. There's a huge violent fight and uh, the, his control is is lessening more and more. We also learn Dr. Chase Meridian, the origin of her first encounter with Batman, which is great because she's from Batman Forever, which is an underrated classic. We then go to 1053, which has the Bat family tracking down the party crashers who are a group of criminals that Dr. Ware has been selling drugs to. But he's been cutting those drugs incorrectly and they want a little bit of revenge. No one remembers the actual fight from the previous issue because of the psycho pirate. But the clues are starting to add up. Nightwing goes to see maybe the source of it, finds the psycho pirate and seems to fall under his control while the Bat family confronts the party crashers. In 1054, the party crashers and the Bat family extend their fight and it is a good one as spoiler Batgirl, Bat excuse me, spoiler Batwoman and Batgirl 
all confront them and they get away. The Bat family realizes that there is more going on in Arkham than they understood. And Nightwing gets a hold of the Psycho Pirate as his hold is broken. Dr. Ware is murdered and he is about to be thrown for or not murdered, wounded, I should say. I'm sorry. And he's about to be chucked from Arkham Tower, which is right around where we started in the first issue of the arc on day 24 when everything fell apart. So, Bill, this has been, again, a surprisingly really fun. Arc. That's what I shouldn't say surprisingly. That's not right. It has been a really, really good arc. And even though it's it's, you know, part six, part seven, part eight, we're ways into it. Because it's coming out weekly, it feels faster and it feels really, I think it's moving at a good pace. So let's just take the three issues as a whole. Okay. What are your thoughts on the fight in Arkham, the the first one, when Psycho Pirate loses control and the criminals suddenly regain their criminal nature and and before he can contain it? What were your feelings in that moment? Well, we knew that. You know, he was had some sort of control, you know, to make him docile or whatever you want to say. But to see it like, you know, he like passes out and to see it like just go off like, you know, snapping your fingers and and they're back to their their the plan that they had, you know, to extort this money without the mayor (laughs) thinking they're extorting it. And I love seeing all of a sudden they're like fighting and everything else. Chase Meridian is is calling to try to get Batwoman, who she doesn't know is Batwoman, um, to help. And then uh, then everybody goes to sleep. Everybody forgets and goes to sleep when, you know, uh, Dr. Ware comes up and the psycho pirate um, wakes up. He puts everybody literally to sleep. I do like that aspect of this whole thing. I mean, mm-hmm. It was not something you could predict. I mean, there was no fancy cure, but I think we knew that from the beginning. At least it had an idea it wasn't, but it was it was pretty original because he hasn't been used a whole lot, uh, to my knowledge. You know, this is probably the most he's ever been used um, for many years, and I, I for one, love love seeing him and love seeing that this is this is the reason why. And, you know, it isn't this Dr. Ware isn't this criminal that's like. He's a know, mastermind or like, yeah, psychopath person in the room. I just think he's they had this plan and this was his friend. And I, I did I did like that. I have been enjoying this immensely. And and. Um, yeah, so, yeah, me too. And I love this the use of the psycho pirate. One, it connects the Bat family to the larger DC universe because you can't think of Psycho Pirate without thinking of Crisis on Infinite Earths and the Justice Society because he's a Justice Society villain, you know. And 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 but then I, and then you have to remember, oh wait, actually Tom King used him early in his run, that you know with with Bane and controlling Gotham Girl, and so so there is a nice callback to him being in the in this vol, you know, in the Bat books in relatively recent times. I loved that too, and I loved. The, the minute he passes out, everything goes to hell. Yep. And it's and it's like a zombie movie. It's like a locked building zombie movie where the criminals all snap out of it suddenly and they're like grabbing knives and they're attacking and they're like savages. And, you know, in the midst of this savagery is Dick Grayson and Helena Bertinelli, you know, trying to sort of fend these things off, Chase Meridian trying to keep herself safe. And it's so interesting. It's so well done. And then snap, they're all asleep. So it is it is really the beats of this story are so well done. And then they don't remember what right. happened. They're all they're all brainwashed, except, you know, Nightwing spots a drop of blood and somebody scrawls out a message. His hold is you know weakening. His hold is breaking. And so it's it's this building of tension. And it reminds me of that old a quote. I think it's by Hemingway where, you know, two people sitting at a cafe and, and a bomb explodes is is an okay story. Two people sitting at a cafe and a bomb is ticking under the table is a great story. And that's what this reminds me of is we they showed us the bomb exploding in the first issue and then they've taken us back to the ticking. And even though we know where it's going, it has been so interesting to see it along the way. I mean, basically it's like Die Hard in Arkham Tower. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask a couple other questions here. What are your thoughts on 
so Chase Meridian's meeting of Batman, she is saved by him. She has a flashback and she is um, being held. I mean, this is a this is awesome. It's basically right out of a, you know, old Batman issue. She's hanging on a crane. There are bombs all along the crane, including one in her hand. And Batman swings in, you know, saves her, helps mm-hmm. get her away from the bomb. And, you know, and it's really cool because it's it's a it's a really interesting way to show that they have some history and a nice tip of the cap. What have you thought about her role in this book? Oh, I, re- I really enjoyed it from the beginning. It was, it's, you know, they didn't want to make this like uh, the first time that she's obviously, you know, we saw a flashback with Batman meeting up with her and like she was his his inside person Mm -hmm. so they they put this other clip in which i think uh, it was very good how they put this other flashback in to show you know the first time they met and you know at the beginning uh we, we don't know what you know area or or what where specifically this happened but you know not trusting a mass vigilante is understandable and then she's tied and has bombs all around her and batman saves her and then says the beginning of their relationship which i really i really like her as a character and you know there's a lot of characters in the batman books that uh for one uh, this is from batman forever and I like seeing this. I like it being developed into a good character. Yeah, me too. When you bring them from movies slash TV show, that sort of thing. I hope they they keep up with the appearances, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, just because over the last year or so, and you have to say, Tamaki has done a good job of bringing different people in, like Deb Donovan. Uh-huh. You know, I really enjoy that sort of thing because the characters is is what makes if you have the same story over and over. I mean, uh, you want something new and interesting. And I've found that's what she's bringing some characters in that are new and interesting. Dr. Ware and different things like that. So, yeah, I've I've enjoyed her seeing her. And, you know, one of the other new characters she's brought in is Mayor Nakano's wife, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I really like. Um, having her there because Nakano, you know, buys into Arkham Tower enough. And in order to sell how quickly he buys into Arkham Tower, they had to give him motivation, right? Because we talked about this last episode. He is not a good mayor. He has just made mistake yeah. after mistake after mistake. And so to, to to understand why he would buy into this so quickly, you have to kind of understand what his motivation is. And it's that his wife is ill and that um, – you know, Koyuki is not is is not healthy mentally and he's trying to do anything he can to help her. So he sees this thing that could help his city and his wife and he goes for it. But in 1054, that is such a great tension builder because all of a sudden they've welcomed non-criminal patients into Arkham, including Koyuki Nakano, his wife. And then the hold is broken. The Psycho Pirates hold breaks. Nightwing's able to snap him out of it, but it it shakes up the whole tower Everybody's now trapped in there. They're about to throw Dr. Ware from the window, which is really the the key of like, oh, this is now officially over. <laughs> you know, this this whole con is over. A psycho pirate, you know, is is kind of unconscious at the moment. And this killer sees Koyuki Nakano, knows who she is, and is gonna head her way. And so that talk about a great way to build tension is that you're not just worried about the Bat family, because on some level you're like, oh, we know they'll be okay. But we don't know that Mayor Nakano's wife is going to be okay. I mean, a lot of tragedy has happened to that man, and she is definitely an innocent. And so you really, really fear for her. And again, the power of the locked room horror movie or zombie movie is so good. You know, so there's so much tension built into that of like any turn down, any corridor could lead you to doom and death and all of these killers, you know, stalking the hall. So, you know, great middle part of the arc. Uh, I have to say, you know, we're, you know, eight parts in and it has not there's there really hasn't been a down issue. It is not disappointed. And the, the highest compliment I can pay it. This is dorky, but comic book collectors, you know, we all get how this is. It's the first book I read on the pile now. Whenever I get my new comics, mm-hmm. you know, I when I you know, everybody does this right. Do you do this? You kind of shuffle either, you know, either digitally or, you know, 
if floppies, you kind of pick what you're going to read first. And usually it's the one that either you're most interested in or you've heard something exciting is happening in. And for the first time in a long time, detective has risen to the top of my pile. Yeah, absolutely. That's how, you know, you go through and see what you got and it's like, oh, yeah, this has risen to the top because I'm, I can't wait to read this one. So this is, this is a uh, one that's, that's up there for me too. And, and this is, this is a smart arc because it'll make a really nice trade paperback. Just like we were saying about the abyss arc over in Batman and, you know, with the Batman movie coming out doing really well, you know, just having these like self-contained stories will be really effective. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. So I cannot leave this book without mentioning the penguin. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, I love seeing him sitting in his little mobster chair with the background of the city in it. But <laughs> there's one scene where he's eating a fish. Yeah. <laughs> um. He likes uh, sushi, apparently. So uh, they, they've given him, and I don't know if this is always the case, they've given him, like, little flipper hands. Yeah, they go back and forth on that. <laughs> At one point, I don't know if you remember in the Tom King run, but he was apparently dating a penguin or married a penguin. or something. Yeah, that was such a weird – he was like mourning the death of somebody, and you just assumed it was somebody he loved. And then it was like, wait, was it an actual penguin? Like, was he – yeah, was he married to an animal? <laughs> Spoilers for the Batman movie, but the penguin in there was incredible. Oh, my god. Okay, so just the fact that it's Colin Farrell – in yeah. all that makeup. And and I, I will tell you, I saw an interview with him about playing the penguin and I was like, and then they showed the makeup. I hadn't seen the movie yet. And I was like, why didn't, why didn't they just cast an actor who looks like that? Like, why didn't they just cast an older actor? Why cast Colin Farrell? If you're going to cover him in makeup. Yeah. Like I just didn't get it. I was like that. It, it felt ego driven, right? It was like, what a weird choice. Like Colin Farrell's a, you know, virile, handsome guy. Why not give a role to another, an older actor? And then I saw the movie, and I went, oh, holy crap. This is the best Penguin I've ever seen. And I love the guy from the Gotham TV show. Um, his last name's Lord. I can't remember his first name. But I thought he was a brilliant Penguin. But but this was – I was like, oh, this is the best I've ever seen. And, and you know, he's getting his own spinoff TV show. And I'm like, cool. I'm totally down for that. I'm going to watch it. And then I wonder if they're just going to have it be Penguin when he's younger, and he'll just have Colin Farrell without all the makeup. But But either way – he was amazing in that movie. And so, you know, that, you know, kudos to that film for pulling off two of the sillier bat villains, Penguin and Riddler, and yeah. making them really deadly, you know, and, and really, really uh, scary and, and, and complex. Absolutely. So, yeah. So seeing the penguin in here, you know, after uh, reading this, seeing the movie, it's like, ah, the penguin. Yeah. I like that, you know, we're all caught up. You know, we get a teaser in that first issue and we're all caught up, caught up to that point. So anything mm-hmm. this we don't really have. What's going to happen? We don't know if Arkham Tower is still going to be there at the end of this arc. If it's, you know, Arkham's going to move out of the city, you know. So, yeah, we, don't, we I love that you pointed that out. We're caught up to where we started, so now we don't know what's next. And that is fun. That's a nice bit of narrative tension. And I'm really worried about Nakano's wife, I, I have to tell you. Like, I'm really – I don't want them to hurt this poor man anymore. And I don't want them to fridge her. You know, I don't want them to hurt her to advance his story. Yeah. But I'm really worried about her. I'm hoping she makes it out okay. Right, absolutely. So we will definitely uh, see what happens. I'm, I'm excited. So Me too. And I just want to real quick give a shout-out. There is so much Bat product on the market right now. In fact, it's flooded. It feels like Batman 89 all over again. But but I have to say, a lot of it's really, really good. And, and if you're skipping it because there's so many Bat books, I get it. But don't skip Batman the Night by um, Carmine DiGiomenico and, and Chip Zdarsky. That book, it's two issues into that mini, and it is unbelievably good. So I just I, I don't want people to skip that one, because it's especially because Zdarsky is coming out of the main Bat book. Are you reading that? Oh, yeah. It's so good. Yeah, and someone asked me, like, okay, what 
book or trade could you give me? Because I saw the Batman movie and I, I liked it or whatever. And and what could you give me to read? Like what comics could I start off reading and not be lost or understand what's going on? And I, I recommend Batman Year One, but I wanted to recommend, you know, the first two issues of this. Yeah. Batman the Night is pretty in, pretty incredible, and they're showing some things that we haven't seen before. And yeah, once it's done, it's going to be one of the greats. I think it's going to be it's really fantastic. Yep. But we're you know like we've said before, Golden Age of Bat Books, man. Things are really good. Absolutely. So. Okay. We're gonna go ahead and we're gonna head to what we learned. Come on, Robin, to the Batcave. We haven't one moment to lose. So, Sean, what did you learn in this episode? I learned that there are no depths that you won't sink to to win Stump the Co-Host, even revisiting the horribly toxic Rick Grayson era. I My only hope is that you had to go back and read those issues in order to build that question. And that's the only thing that gives me satisfaction is that you had to punish yourself by revisiting the Rick. But you actually didn't mind that era, right? No, I didn't read the whole thing. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, but that's okay. I, I now understand how how ruthless you are, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna prep for that for future episodes. I'm gonna know that now that you are capable of of great great evil. <laughs> what did you learn, Bill? Well, before I get to that, I hate to disappoint you, but I Googled what you don't know about Rick Grayson. Oh, CBR.com comes up with the ten things you didn't know about Rick Grayson. Oh, that sucks. I was really hoping you had to reread those issues. Wow. <laughs> Ding, ding, jackpot. <sighs> so there you go. I didn't even work that hard. Oh, wait. So he might have a tattoo of B. <laughs> you, you, may, you may just, you may not actually, you may, you may be wrong there. I guess. Well, uh, well our listener, there had to be somebody that listens to this podcast that read that arc. So. Okay. Uh, there, okay. Justice for Sean. Tell me privately. DM me. Privately. No, DM me. DM me. Privately. And let me know. And, we'll, and uh, of course, I'll let Sean know if that's that's right or not. At, at our age, Bill, the only reason people slide into our DMs is to correct us for our podcast. <laughs> right. But on that note, well, let me give my what I learned and then then we'll get to to the note entirely. So what I learned, if you have a bat suit and you connect it to electrical source <laughs> and you light it up, you can light up the world. It'll yep. just be white, apparently. Totally white, no darkness. So that's what I learned. We've got a couple reviews in the last few weeks. Oh, cool. And these are by some awesome people that, you know, went to great depths to uh, give us reviews. And we got one one-star review and one two-star review with no words. Oh. Just clicked on us. They heard Sean talking and said, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I <laughs> don't you feel like sometimes the one star or two star or whatever reviews are people not understanding to hit the five star? Because I actually have left a review. I did this once. I left a review for a show I loved. I left a glowing comment, but I didn't click the five stars. I just didn't. I, I missed it. And then they emailed me back like, "Hey, you left us a zero star, but you left us a great comment." I was like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry." So I'm gonna I'm gonna say the one star person or two star person. One of them at least was an accident. The other one more than likely is just, you know, sick of the abuse of 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 that you keep taking for Stump the co-host. They're probably a, a personal friend of yours and they just wanted to make a comment that they they wanted me to lay off, you know. They wanted me to, you know. I know what it's probably from. And this is serious. This is not a joke. Okay. When when you first asked me what I thought about the Batman and the trailers, my comment says I think it looks awful. Oh, that's right. It doesn't take much for you know, somebody seeing the movie and then listens yeah. to the podcast, he thinks it's awful. What's wrong with these this guy? And then click. Yep. Yep. That might have been it. A feeling that's what it was. And I was just given my honest opinion at that point in time. And I mean, you've also you've, you've been brave enough to say you were wrong because the movie was awesome. Did I say I was wrong, though? Did I, mean, I, I think you maybe, I, actually maybe you didn't <laughs> say that kind of thing, but. I definitely was. I would definitely was in this case. So. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The movie was great. We, I can't recommend it enough to folks. Don't take your kids. It is not a kids' movie. No, it's not a kids. Movie. Yeah, it's closer to seven than it is to Batman sixty six. So don't take your kids. But it is a great movie. 
So, yeah. So, we'll be back next time. We're going to catch up on our detective books. So, we're going to have like four of those, more likely. Three or four. Four of those. More Stump the Co-Host. And since I'm on such a roll, I this is just like taking candy from a baby. Uh, all right. All right. Bring it on. Taking a comic book from Sean. Just, <laughs> you know, because he does the physical comic books. I can just rip it out of his hand. and uh, Even joking about that hurts my soul. <laughs> Until next time. Same bat time. Same bat channel. We will see you later.